electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the sell-off in stocks and the big rise in shares of Robinhood. What each are saying about your money's next move. We debate that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Liz Young, Joe Terranova, Jim Laventhal, Steve Weiss. Good to see everybody. Stocks, you know by now, they're lower. ADP was a big miss. The Fed's Clarida says conditions to raise rates could be met by the end of next year. And then there's Robinhood, which is ripping again today. That's where we start because Steve Weiss is playing in this sandbox. <laughs> I was surprised to hear about this, Steve. So you bought it yesterday. You sold it. And then you bought it back today at sixty-two, $60.20. Yeah, and, and was in and out a few times since then. Look, here, here's, here's the story for me on this, is that I've been very clear. Fundamentally, this company is a short. It's a core short. But you've got to be crazy to short it. As I said in the show, I think it was last week, it could very well be a meme stock, and it is a meme stock. So you can decide whether you want to trade this or you want to be a fanboy and say, Vlad, just the best thing that ever happened, and go long and think it's a great fundamental story. You could wake up one day still and find this company is out of business if they stop payment for order flow. But in the interim, if you can understand or try to understand, there's no real rational basis for understanding the psychology of meme traders. You realize it's got a lot higher to go. So the way I play it is I buy it. I use stops under the market. You've got to be decently under the market, so you've got to be prepared to lose on the trade because the volatility is so great. It can trade. All right. Well, obviously, Steve Weiss's uh, feed uh, froze there. It is quite interesting, though, that Steve Weiss is is playing with uh, with Robinhood today. The stock did get as high as eighty five dollars before dropping back down to sixty two. Again, he says he bought it back into it today at sixty dollars and 20 cents. We'll try and get him back up. Meantime, John Najarian is the co-founder of Market Rebellion, and he joins us now because he, too, has bought Robinhood. Doc, what are you guys doing? Well, um, as I argued last week on the show, Scott, these guys are truly a disruptor. Um, you know, I, I know I got pushed back from a couple of the other folks, um, but I think that's just misplaced. If you don't think these guys disrupted the brokerage industry by basically going to free and by uh, not just gamifying, because people do point to that all the time, gamification of trading, but they also have a pretty significant educational components, Scott. Um, they have ba- basically uh, news clipping services about financial data that you can subscribe to. I think over 33 million people have subscribed to the various uh, educational things on Robinhood. You know Pete and I are all about education. Well, these folks are not just gamblers. They're trying to learn, and in many cases, they're doing better than a lot of traders um, not every one of them, of course, but I think this is 
an absolute game changer. Kathy Woods is right again. Now, does that mean that you just scramble in here and buy it? Like Stephen said, I don't think it's going to just go out of business in a day at all, Scott, because, again, they have 20 million accounts, um, funded accounts that are out there trading daily and monthly, and then they've got the crypto side as well. So you've got a a dual kicker for this particular company, and like I say, they truly did disrupt, and somebody is going to be out there if it even dips, somebody buys them. Scott. Yeah, but, but Doc, um, I mean, I, I got to tell you, I mean, you know, when I asked you the day of the IPO, you were on the show mm-hmm. and you thought it was overvalued at $38 a share. So how is yes, there na- how are you now building a fundamental case about something that was overvalued, according to you, at 38, but now mm-hmm. is worth buying at 60 bucks with a fundamental case? I mean, come on. If this wasn't part, if, if this wasn't part of the whole now meme mania, would you really be getting in on this doc? I mean, let's be honest. Well, yeah, uh, you are correct, Scott. That's very well said by you. And no, I would not. If it weren't for that, and if it weren't for the fact that we're um, just on the heels of the IPO itself, and the fact that you know you can't borrow shares and that. Uh, supply and demand factors play into this pretty significantly during this period of time. Now, those shares will free up. Um, many of the folks that uh, are not willing to let those shares be lent and so forth um, will eventually do that. And then I think you will get another chance to get in in the 30s for this stock. But like I say, if this thing dipped significantly from there, Scott, somebody out there would be around to buy these guys because you can't just create um, these 20 million uh, funded accounts that are very actively trading and say this is not a disruptor. Uh, there's a lot of uh, traditional finance folks that would love to jump on this one in the 20s. I don't think it gets there, but I do think that it was overvalued at 38. I still think it's overvalued here, but bought it and uh, rode along with Kathy Woods. And like Stephen said, I'll probably uh, be selling calls against it very aggressively. But right now, I just don't share. I mean, because Steve Weiss, I mean, I I remember, you know, Kramer was saying day one that, of course, this is going to be a a meme stock. Now, you know, he he just tweeted to me that he recommended the stock multiple times and are now saying he's now saying to sell some, um, you know, as you see the stock run up to to eighty five dollars. So Weiss, you're back with me. I mean, this is a meme story, yeah. right? This is not a fundamental story. Because, again, you were another one. You know, day one, this thing is an over, overvalued thing, whereas here, you know, 30 bucks over the IPO, you're, you're playing around in it. Yeah, and look, Scott, my job is very simple. It's to make money. It's not to have a bias. It's not to fall in love with companies or CEOs. It's not to fall in hate with anybody. It's to say, where is the opportunity? And the opportunity here is to trade it, a small trading position, because it is a meme stock, as I said last week or the week before. I know, but in terms of recommending it, there's there's my, no way in, in good conscience to recommend this stock. My, my point is, though, my, and, my, my point is the time yeah. to buy it. If 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 you're if you're buying it now because you think it's a meme stock, the time to buy it was thirty eight on the IPO day when it had every making of a, a meme stock. No. And, and you know why I didn't? The reason I didn't is because there are 50 to 60 million shares, I forget which they are, which are the convert when they needed regulatory capital, where the convert price is at 26 or $28 a share. That will be unlocked. It was supposed to be unlocked. That's going to crush the stock. 
But hey, I don't know when the people that come in to buy these, and I'm not, I'm not denigrating meme stocks, even though I think it's ridiculous. It's an investment strategy. We've seen that. Some people have made a lot of money in it. More have lost a lot of money in it. This is an opportunity to get in early on. It It may end tomorrow. I bought it yesterday. I held it overnight. I've been in and out a few times. Right now, I'm still in it. It looks like 58 and 60 is the bottom. That could change. And I could never look at this thing again. Whether John's right. They've got this educational process there. I could care less about that. I could care less if it's gambling. I'm not opining on that. I see one thing. I see a fury of people coming in that think they can make the money on this. They made it on AMC and GameStop and Bed Bath Beyond and the others. But guess what? It will end. It will end badly. Well, and I'll be long gone before then. Maybe. And Scott, yeah, if, yeah. if I could just go ahead, Doc, quick, quick. Scott. Yep. Um, so when you have this IPO, and all of a sudden, everybody, just like Facebook, everybody who put in for shares got more than they wanted. Um, then you know that hot potato is a little too hot for you. That's what the IPO was. They knew they were going to have a hard time holding 38. In fact, it traded up to like 39 uh, and changed briefly and then just crashed down 36, 34, and so forth. It did that because this really was not a great job on the IPO itself. But then after that, then all those factors that I mentioned about uh, supply and demand kicked in, and that's why you trade it here, not why you buy it here. Yeah, I mean, you have to be an experienced veteran like yourself, perhaps, Doc, or you, Steve Weiss, been around the block a bunch of times to be able to maneuver in and out of something like this. The layperson watching may have a much more difficult time doing that, and I, I think it's important that we sort of point out the difficulty in the kind of trading that both of you are doing, not necessarily advocating, but by doing, some take it as advocating. So let's just make that that awfully clear um, just for a moment. Stay with me. I want to bring in uh, somebody who tracks all of this stuff that happens on the Reddit boards. It's Thinknum's uh, Justin Zen. He's with us now. Uh, Welcome. It's good to talk to you today. Hey, how are you? Good. Um, This is what we're talking about now, right? I mean, it's all about memes. This is number one. Uh, Robinhood is, and and now AMD is number two. Uh, you're tracking, correct? Yes, uh, Robinhood is uh, number one, and it has actually almost twice the volume as AMD, which is uh, surprisingly number two. What do you make of the activity, especially in in AM AMD? Right, I mean, not exactly the kind of stock that we would typically think we'd see on the Reddit boards. Yeah, I agree. Uh, AMD's been uh, really interesting. It's not really a consumer brand, a really B2B business. Uh, the Reddit mentions actually picked up uh, 10 times over the last 10 days. And it actually picked up a few days uh, before earnings, which obviously the company uh, uh, blew out that earnings call. Um, so I think uh, a lot of the due diligence on Reddit is talking about the global uh, demand for chips right now. And if you look at the alternative data, the company is in major expansion mode. Uh, job listings are up over 240 percent and they're just forecasting uh, incredible demand. And, you know, I think that's that's what Redditors are uh, are talking about. What, what else are they talking about outside of Robinhood and AMD? Then I'm going to let you bounce. But um, what should we keep our eyes out for now? I'll give you one more. Uh, it's a Snapchat. Um, so last week, uh, there were five mega cap stocks uh, in the top 10 of Wall Street bets that were being discussed. Uh, Snapchat was not amongst them, but it's uh, creeping along there. Uh, the company hasn't gotten quite as much attention as the other ones, but um, that's one I would look out for. All right. We will uh, indeed. And uh, we'll keep our eyes on uh, shares of 
uh, snap. Justin, thank you. Uh, appreciate you popping on. Uh, Joe Terranova, so AMD number one and two most actively traded stocks today on the NASDAQ as well. AMD's up 35% since July 26. Coincidentally, that coincides with the rise in mentions uh, on Reddit for that stock, which Thinknum tracks as well. And you own AMD, correct? I do. Own it personally, own it in the index. Yeah, well, what do you think now, Joe? I mean, sorry, I lost you, Scott. I lost you, Scott. You hear me now? Okay, we'll get Joe back. Uh, Liz Young. You want to tell me what you make of all this? <laughs> well, first of all, let's talk about the broader market and some of the pullback that we're seeing today. There's been commentary on the show all week about people that are calling for a pullback here in fall or maybe at some point before the end of the year. And what I would say to that is, first and foremost, don't invest as as you're anticipating a pullback, right? If the question is, is there going to be a pullback at some point between now and year end? My answer would be yes. But is that pullback something that you should invest differently for? No. There's pullbacks all the time. And, and Bryn Talkington made a wonderful point. I think it was on Monday on the show. Stop acting like volatility is rare. Volatility is normal. We're going to see volatility, especially as we keep transitioning throughout the rest, rest of the year, getting more news on the Fed, getting some of the econ data rolling over and softening. There's going to be some of this digestion process that happens. Those are opportunities. Now, to the conversation about day trading and whether or not we should be advocating for that, I think we on this show have a big responsibility to the viewers to make sure that we're trying to help them build wealth. In my personal opinion, day trading is not a way to build wealth, something that really uh, introduces a lot of risk into the equation. It's not something that I think the average person should do. However, I think that there are a lot of good opportunities out there that are maybe newer to the market. There are a lot of disruptors. SoFi is also a disruptor. And they're offering opportunities as we move through this rest of the year for fundamentals. Whom you work for, as we can see over your <laughs> right-hand shoulder, just to make sure everybody is aware of that. Um, you never know. Um, what I'm curious, though, Liz, is to whether these are singular and unique events, like we're talking about now with Robin Hood and AMD, and here we are having these same types of conversations again, or if part of you thinks that this is behavior in the market that happens and marks the top in, in any way, shape, or form in the same kind of week as you mentioned where people are saying we're due for a big pullback. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we can say it marks a top in a day when the broad indices are, are down slightly. I think that there are pockets of the market that have been frothy, and they've been frothy all year. And there's a lot of, obviously, increased interest from new entrants to the market. I would welcome all of those new entrants to the market, but I think that really the frothiness is in some of the concentrated areas. And the big risk here is that people are taking concentrated bets in those trendy or hot dot areas. And that's what I keep trying to caution people against. I think that there is a risk in those frothy spots and in the places that we continue to talk about that continue to make the headlines. There is a risk for big pullbacks in those because there isn't necessarily fundamental strength that's been proven already. And I know we're going to talk about this later on in the show, but things like durability, durability of dividends, durability of cash flow, you need information on all of those different elements to really feel like you're strong on a long-term investment. All right. I got Joe back. Uh, Joe, I'm assuming that yes. you can hear me now. I'm just looking at my Twitter feed because Kramer is uh, tweeting a lot. Uh, AMD is a real company okay. that I wish uh, were not a meme stock. 100%. Because I don't want this to happen. So, you know, you know how much he has, has liked AMD. The, 
you know, mm-hmm. it's very interesting how you have to view these different names accordingly, even though they're making some very similar moves and market forces or individual things that are driving these stocks up don't necessarily mesh with fundamentals. In some cases, they may. But it's just interesting to watch the way these stocks are trading. AMD among them, which you own. Now you're back with us. Yes. So let's first address AMD. AMD is fundamentally completely different than Robinhood. It does not mean Robinhood is bad. AMD post earnings, we talked about it then. It was the opportunity for there to be a reverse, uh, a mean reversion for the underperformance that it experienced relative to the rest of the semis. It is not, it is reasonably priced against the semiconductor industry. What you're seeing here is momentum is building in AMD, carrying it higher. No, no, no. Do I like that it's becoming? No, no, no. No, 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 no. Let me jump in. Let me jump in first because. Um, As the stock continues to go higher, fueled by this meme mania momentum, uh, then you start questioning its valuation, right? So it it maybe justified where it was because of the business Mm -hmm. before it started to take off. But is it worth, Mm -hmm. is it it reasonably valued at 122 today, up 6%? If it goes up more, is it reasonably valued at 130 tomorrow? That's the point of the conversation mm-hmm. we need to have. The answer is yes. So the answer to that is is yes. Uh, the next words that were coming out of my mouth was, I don't like that it's becoming a meme stock. I don't like the rate of appreciation. That's uncomfortable for me personally. It's uncomfortable for me in my index. I don't like that. You just said but it's reasonably valued, perspective, though. You just said it would be reasonably you know, valued at 130 How's that possible, absolutely. then? But I do I, but, I, but I don't want it to go to 130 by 2 o'clock. I don't like the way, the structure in the way that it is advancing. I don't need it to go to 130 by 2 o'clock. Do I think six to nine months from now, AMD is a stock that could trade at 140? Yes, I do, okay. because the I revenue tomorrow. growth will be there. I, I, I'm not talking about six months or 12 months. I'm talking about six to 12 minutes. I mean, that, that's the way they start. I, I, I agree with you. Are, I don't. I, are trading. But uh, wait, let, let, let me make a point here. Let me make a point on this, okay? AMD, fundamentally over the long term, will prove itself to be warranted of the valuation that the market is giving it today and that the market will give it over time at 130, 140. I don't want it to go to 130 or 140 tomorrow. Robinhood. Robinhood now has a difficult decision to make. Does management want to be a meme stock? To me, that's the biggest question. If they don't want to be a meme stock, then there's something that they can do about it ultimately. And they can provide more shares into the market through a secondary or whatever the case may be. But to me, that's the big question with Robinhood. Do you want to be a meme stock or not? That's the critical, but it's completely different fundamentally from AMD. That's probably a rhetorical question, don't you think? Hold on, Steve. Hang on. I got it. I'm sorry, Jim. Yeah, Farmer okay. Jim. Farmer Jim's been sitting there just waiting. Um, I apologize, Jim, but I had to get to that other stuff, the, the more no, actionable no. stuff right in the market today. <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you got? 
Um, look, you know I'm a valuation guy, right? And I want to echo something that Steve said is, what is my job? My job is to make money like Steve, but there's an important qualification. I can't risk big losses. That's why when you guys are talking about Robinhood and I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, what's the right price? Is it 33? Is it 63? Is it 123? Or AMD, echoing what, what Joe was just saying. If I buy it at the wrong valuation and it goes down meaningfully, I have to answer to clients. And the clients are going to say this. They're going to say, Jimmy, I came to you rich. I didn't want you to put it at risk. I wanted you to grow it sanely. So why did you buy this stock at that price? This is why valuation matters. I have to justify the price. And even, Scott, because I know we're going to get to a certain stock later on that's down big today. If a stock goes down and I have an answer for why we should own it and why we bought it 10 percentage points higher, I'm okay and my clients are okay. But what I can't do, and this is why I'm not a trader, not like Dr. J or Joe, who are excellent traders, I can't buy a stock at 63 and let it go to 43 and then my clients say, why did you buy it? And I don't have a good answer. That's fatal to my business. I'm a long-term investor. Valuation matters. Let's, let's just spin the conversation forward, too, because I just want to touch on the overall market. S&P's down 15 points. Um, the NASDAQ is in the green and the Dow's down about 275. We did want to talk about this couple of notes that Citi dropped on the market today, uh, whereas Bob Buckland over at Citi downgrades U.S. equities to neutral, he expects the 10-year Treasury to rise towards 2% into 2022. It's got a lot of work to do from where it is today because it did go down to 112. It bounced up to 117. You got Clarida uh, of the Fed out in the market today speaking as well that may have caused some little jittery stuff happening in the market saying that maybe you get to the conditions of raising rates by the end of 22. Is that a little bit earlier than some people thought? I don't know. Steve Leisman. Uh, the Clarida stuff got my attention today, and I think it got the market's attention, too. Rates moved off the bottom. Stocks started to move a little bit lower. What do you make of it? Um, you know, I think Clarida came in at where the market is priced, uh, Scott. I, I mean, not every stock investor is paying attention to the Fed funds probabilities and where the Fed funds markets are priced. But, but the market is priced for what Clarida said. He said he expects conditions for raising rates to be met by the year end of 2022, and he sees policy normalization beginning in 2023. I'll admit that not every Fed official has said this, you know, but when you look at where they are in their dots and their forecasts for the Fed funds, uh, they're all show, many of them are showing rate hikes in 2023, all but four, I guess, or five. Um, and the market is priced, it's gone back and forth between October 2022 for the rate, first rate hike and, and, and December. Right now, it's priced in for December or January 2023 but, for the first rate hike. So he has not really said very much, Scott, that's different from where at least the fixed income market is priced. No, well, that, well, the, I, I don't know. I mean, he says he's surprised by the magnitude of the move lower in rates, right? And that the risk to the inflation yeah. outlook, Steve, is to the upside. So, I, you know, look, I don't right. know how you cut through that and ask the question of, does he disagree yes. with the transitory thing a little bit? I, I, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 think, I think that's where there may be some difference. There's a bit of a hint or a lean towards, hey, inflation's on notice. Now, you've seen that in some of the rhetoric that's, that's out there. You have Waller making comments like that. You had Bullard before him making comments like that. I believe there is a contingent on the FOMC that's ready to act a little bit earlier, for example, 
maybe on tapering to clear the runway for potential liftoff of rates in 2022 if the inflation problem ends up being not transitory. For the record, Clarida said he expects that most of it will be transitory. But you're absolutely right, Scott, to signal those two things out. If I could also mention just one other thing that happened exactly at 10 o'clock, which is that ISM service uh, indicator came in well above expectations. 64 and a half, I believe, was the number that was out there, which was huge. Prices paid came in uh, very high as well. So more inflation in that pipeline right there. But also the employment index came in also very strong as the market prepares for that big Friday jobs report. Yeah, uh, there are a lot of cross currents on the economy and Fed speak, and you're going to yeah, get right. more of it, I suppose, this week and data at the end, as you say. Steve, thanks, as always. I appreciate you uh, being on the program sure. uh, very much to cut through some of that as we watch what, what's happening in stocks. Um, you know, and then you also have, as we talk about what Robinhood's doing, and I don't know if Dr. J is still with me, but if he's not, I just want to say thank you very much for coming on as well. Uh, to you, John. We'll see you back on the desk soon. There are a number of other stocks hitting new highs today, which are interesting because our gang is um, uh, owns a bunch of them. Joe Chipotle is at a new high today. Uh, you own that. You stay yes. with it, or do you take some of these? You know, take some profits in a in a fairly uneven tape. No, Scott. I'm I'm going to stay with it. The consumer remains in a very strong position. Uh, the resiliency is there. The spending ability is there. And private sector borrowing costs remain low. Debt servicing is not a concern for the consumer. Um, Chipotle, McDonald's, Domino's, quick serve restaurants are all going to benefit from that environment. It's up 20 percent in a month. Uh, Steve Weiss, Moderna, new high today as well. You bought more, in fact, yesterday and then you bought more again today. Can you take us through that uh, line of thinking? Sure. So I've continued to trade around a core position, which I've had since uh, since the 20s. Uh, and here's why. Yesterday, the company was fast tracked on their respiratory vaccine, which is a very important vaccine. It ratified the technology yet again. And I say technology because this is a technology platform like Amazon, like Apple. It's the ultimate disruptor. In any event, the stock didn't move. It was up a couple of bucks. I said the market's missing this. Then you had a report that came out just about a week ago that I read, and I finally got to it, which said, which did a survey, or rather a study, scientific study, hasn't been peer reviewed, on 600 docs that had either the Moderna shot or the BioNTech shot, Pfizer shot. And it showed the Moderna shot to be clearly, clearly superior. And then finally, we had the T-Bio acquisition yesterday. T-Bio had changed the name from another company, has never gotten anything approved, but you had Sanofi come in. And I tell you, T-Bio is like CureVac. It's a so-so company. Not all mRNA is created equal. So when that happened, I said, the market's coming for these stocks. And Moderna has the best management, the best technology, the best science. So this has to go up. And that's why I bought. Pipeline is unbelievable. This stock will go up fivefold from here. Okay. Uh, Jimmy, Cisco's down today, but it's right around new highs as well. Uh, how do you see this one progressing? I think this is just playing from the middle of the fairway as, follow, as far as investing goes. Uh, where we are in the economic cycle, you're going to see enterprise spending on IT, and that includes both the hardware and software that Cisco provides. Now, this is not something that's ever going to shoot the lights out the way AMD does today or the way Cisco itself did 25 years ago, but this is just a solid, steady eddy. It's going to return mid-teens in a given year, year in and year out. So I, I like it here. I think you just hold it for many years. You know what, Liz Young, I'm going to give you the last comment here, because what, what this shows is 
you know, you got the Dow down 275. Um, you know, it's an uneven market. Obviously, there's some concern about where we're going from here, but it's a stock picker's market. This underscores that fact, is it not? It's kinds of stocks that we're talking about hitting new highs even in this environment. It sure does. And moreover from that, Scott, it's a stock picker's market that's looking at fundamentals. It's not necessarily a momentum stock picker's, stock picker's market. And I would say that to every viewer that's watching, if you are picking individual stocks, this is the time in the second half of the year that you look at fundamentals, you look at durability, you look at cash flow, you look at return on equity, and you pick stocks based on quality and their prospective growth going forward. You don't pick it on their growth looking backward, and you don't pick it on how the stock has moved to this point. All right. Good point you make there. Dow's down 300. General Motors shares, they're getting whacked today after missing profit expectations, which means we're going to debate that next with our committee. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. Prosecutors in two more counties are seeking information on alleged sexual harassment by New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, the district attorneys in Manhattan and Westchester have asked the state attorney general for material on incidents in their jurisdictions. And on the news tonight, the calls for Cuomo to resign continue to grow as the governor still says he did nothing wrong. What's next as legislators consider impeaching him tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. Spirit Airlines still struggling to get travelers in the air. The discount airline has canceled 350 flights so far today. That's about half of all that were scheduled. Spirit says that it's a perfect storm of bad weather, staffing shortages, and system outages. Passengers, meantime, say there's no excuse for the late notifications that they've been receiving. And Mexico is taking weapons makers to court in the U.S. The civil lawsuit accuses the companies of negligent business practices that they knew led to illegal gun trafficking into Mexico. No immediate response from the weapons makers, including Smith & Wesson and Sturm Ruger. You're now up to date. Scott, I'll send it back to you. I appreciate that, Rahel. Thank you. All right, let's talk shares of General Motors. The worst day for them since March of 2020 after reporting second quarter results, earnings missed, but revenue beat. The company did raise its full year profit guidance. Now, Jim Labenthal, you're the man, Jimmy GM. What are we supposed to make of this big slide in these shares today? 
Well, this I think this is simply about the chip shortage, and I'll get into the details in a second. But the big question is, what multiple is GM supposed to trade at? Right now, it's at seven and a half times this year's earnings. Three years ago, it traded at six times. If you believe this is the GM of three years ago, then it's overvalued. I say it should be at 10 times for reasons that I'll go into in a moment, in which case this is a $70 stock. But the chips are what's weighing on this. They crushed the revenue estimate, which indicates that they're selling cars hand over fist, but their margins were terrible, and that's because of the chips. Uh, That chip issue is going to continue for a while, but underneath this, they've got great demand. You see where inventories are. I mean, heck, if anybody drives past a dealership, you see where inventories are. There's demand for new cars. They just can't produce them because of the chips. So eventually that works its way out. And you've got a stock that is net uh, cash positive as far as the balance sheet goes on the operations side. Eventually they're going to start buying back shares, reinstate the dividend. But this is where a long-term investor says, what is the multiple? A short-term investor may say, hey, this is terrible. I want out. A long-term investor says they're going to be buying back shares. The multiple is going to 10. A dividend will be reinstated. I am in. Okay. Steve Weiss, I'm going to paraphrase Jim now. No big whoop. Because that's what he's saying. None of this matters because the chip shortage and all that's going to eventually get figured out. The stock's going at least to 70 bucks. It deserves a higher valuation. What do you think? You know, I love what Jim said, because if GM should get a 10 multiple, that means Volkswagen should get a 20 multiple. The reason being, they put more money into EV. They did it sooner. They'll be the largest EV seller in the world. And their other cars and go through them, Bentley, Porsche, which is outselling race, and by the way, which is selling 40 times earnings. So, Jim, I hope you get it. I got a small position there where I followed you in, sold most of it. I hope I get back to even because I got in later than you. But, man, I'm going to coin it on Volkswagen and Porsche. Yeah, you're but right. you're still in so it, though. I, I mean, hope that's you are the key. this time. That, that, that's the key. You, yeah. This is like the old Apple days. Hate on it, but own it. Right? I mean, you don't have to own it. Yeah, I mean, uh, Apple I knew I would leave. Position. I knew I would leave this, you speechless with that one. Uh, you leave me speechless because I, I would have thought you've listened more carefully to what I said. Scott. No, no, so the, no, <laughs> so, no, no. You dump so all I, over the thing and you say how <laughs> Volkswagen is a much better play, Porsche, etc. Uh, but then, oh, by the way, I own a right. small position. Yeah, well, I do own. I'd say my position is about 20 times the size of Volkswagen and Porsche. It's one of my largest positions. I spoke to the company yesterday. Things are going great there. GM, I mean, it's a tag end just so I can rag on Jim a little bit. And guess what? <laughs> that part's working out. So I think I'm a winner, <laughs> yeah. even though I'm losing money. You know, Bang, knowing Scott. you, I swear, knowing you the way I do, I, I would believe that. I believe that you are literally only <laughs> in the stock so that you can, you can give Jim the you-know-what on this program. Joe, however, might have a different reason as to why he is in General Motors. Joe? Well, Jimmy, I almost called you this morning uh, because I wanted to know whether it was time to get out of GM and maybe put my money in CarMax or something. But I figured let's do this on air to help the viewers. Here's the problem. Jim, you're in GM in the low 30s. I'm in GM in the upper 50s. The question becomes for someone like myself or someone that followed you in or followed myself in at these high levels, right? I don't know when the semi-shortage is going to resolve itself. I don't know how much longer GM's going to benefit from the high prices that consumers are willing to pay. There's now uh, challenges as it relates to battery fires with the Volt. Jimmy, 
The stock's about to break the 200-day moving average. It hasn't done that since September. You know a lot of quantitative funds are going to be getting out there. Why do I stay in here? Why do I not get out, put my money elsewhere, and come back at a later date? So, so Joe, this is the classic discussion from earlier in the show of are you a trader or are you an investor? You heard me say I think you're a very good trader. I can't tell you this is a tradable stock right now. I can tell you at this price it is a great buy. It is a great value. Now, will it break that 200-day moving average? Will the quants do something to it? Maybe, maybe not. But what I don't want to do, what I don't personally want to do is get out of a stock that is now fundamentally way under its intrinsic value because of something that may be temporary, what the quants may do, and then I risk being out of it when it runs. This, I'm very sure, not positive, but very sure will be a $70 stock. I'm not going to goof around here in the low 50s, but if you're a trader, I will tell you I don't see what the immediate catalyst is this week or next week that will break it out. You've just got to be patient, which is one of my virtues. I've got other virtues that I don't have, but, you know, that's my virtue. I'm patient and I'm disciplined and I can stay in this for the long haul. All right. You get the last word there, Jim. Thank you very much. Coming up, Steve Weiss is making more moves in his portfolio. We're going to get you those names next. And a reminder, you can always watch and listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back in two minutes. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right. The investment committee is making some more moves today. Steve Weiss, back to you. You bought GXO Logistics. I do. I know you like the logistics space with XPO and I think it was FedEx. What's GXO? Mm-hmm. OK, so XPO and I've been talking about this split into two. They have GXO and then they have their XPO. XPO is tro- truck brokerage, LTL business center. Very good business. But GXO is really, in my view, the heart of it, because that's the only pure play logistics business that's publicly traded. And they are killing it. Logistics, they work with all the big companies, long-term contracts, asset light, so not a ton of CapEx. This stock, I, I mentioned yesterday in Twitter, actually, that I added to it. I bought it on the when-issued basis, as I mentioned on the show last week. So I think this is just going to get a lot more attention. Analysts are going to come out, recommended. Couple have, but you got a lot more salivating over this. Nice move. It's in not that a one. takeout because they can't sell for two years, but it's it's a, it's a great story. Yeah, a great looking stock today, up eleven percent. You also sold Qualcomm. You want to tell us, and maybe more importantly, Jim Labenthal, why you did that? Yep, yep. And, and listen up, Farmer Jim, because I think you'll learn something yet again when I speak. Look. I bought Qualcomm as a trade. I was very clear on that because the rest of the group was moving up. Then you had the news coming out yesterday that Google is now going to have their own chipset and they won't be using Qualcomm anymore. Apple's going to make that move as well. They've already said they're building it. They've got a six-year agreement as part of the settlement with Qualcomm, but it doesn't mean that they won't make their own chipset. They're already you know, trying to, uh, I would say, get rid of their relationship with Qualcomm. And when I talk to, uh, to the people out there, the chief technology officers, 
They generally don't like doing business with Qualcomm. They feel strong-armed because of the licensing. So this Apple's an important part of their business. Uh, I think you'll see much more of that. And uh, so that's why I sold it. I think it's fairly valued as well. Jim, I'd like you to stay there so it could be, ha-ha, I told you so, yet again. So you keep owning it, buddy. Okay. No. No problem there, Steve. Um, look, of course Qualcomm strong arms its customers. It's because they're intellectual property. They've got a library that simply you can't do the business of mobile telephony without Qualcomm. It's just that simple. So if somebody wants to manufacture the chips themselves, that's fine. You're still going to pay Qualcomm for the technology. And as far as clients not liking Qualcomm, I mean, that's gone on for 25 years. People have hated this from when the senior Jacobs was, was running this. They hate doing business with them because they can't do business without them. So right now, these guys are, are making money That's hand not over true, fist. Um, it is true. That's not true anymore. It is not true. MediaTek can make a chipset. Samsung's making it. I just told you Google is getting rid of, of Qualcomm. I just told you that Apple is going to get rid of Qualcomm. Steve, Others can make Steve, it. Technology is missing. You're, no, 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 no. They're getting rid of manufacturing the chips. If they want to manufacture the chips themselves, that's fine. They still have to pay technology licenses for the intellectual property that Qualcomm owns. You're, not, you're just not getting around that. It's, it's not true. That's, it's the, not true. that's the whole reason to own the stock. Qualcomm, Qualcomm does not power, Qualcomm chipsets do not power every single phone out there. They just don't. There's Android and there Steve. are others. Steve, it, it, it contains many of the to. standard bearing patents, many of the standard bearing patents for the business. Right. And I'll tell you, All listen, right. I know I know you like Skyworks and, and Corvo. Those stocks are much more at risk because if they get kicked out of Apple or Samsung, they can't fall back on the intellectual property rights. Yeah. Qualcomm's the more stable right. one in that in that picture. All right. Last word. All right. Leave it there. Coming up, there's a street call on Alibaba today. We're going to weigh in on that Chinese stocks. We'll do that just ahead. All right, let's talk about this Alibaba price target cut to 269 at Deutsche Bank. They do reiterate a buy, though. Liz Young, which brings me to you. What do you do with this call? I mean, we know what's happened with these stocks. Yeah, I think China in general for me right now is not a buy. I'm cautioning investors that I just think the juice isn't worth the squeeze. There's too much uncertainty out there. There's too much volatility. And the political uncertainty overpowers the opportunity. I may be late on that. I may be late when I say it's time to finally get into China, but I'm okay. I'd rather be late than early here. So, Weiss, I was surprised to learn that you actually had calls in Alibaba a short time ago, right? Well, it was actually in June, and I had them against put, so it was a spread. Okay, thinking the stock okay. Would, would bounce would a little Would you own bit. these things um, under any look, circumstances in any sort of a way? How would you trade it, if at all? I've been short. I'm sure PDD right now. No, I wouldn't own them. Gensler said it. It's irresponsible to value these things on any measure, particularly against U.S. stocks. There's no there there. You don't own them. You own an Ill illegal contract that's in China that will go away. You are toast. They'll rip you off. I've been to court with Chinese companies. There's nothing there. You own nothing. You own a revenue stream, maybe. But that's if China doesn't want to do away with it. Get out. It's irresponsible to own them. Period. End of story. Oh, okay. Exclamation point. Uh, ask Halftime is coming up next. You can send your questions by video. We'll play them on the air. Email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. We'll be right back. 
All right, we're back. Let's answer some questions now. Joe, I have a video question for you from Kathy in Connecticut. Let's watch. I have been a big fan of PayPal, but based on Square's announcement today, I am a little unsure as to what my next moves are. I have some cash on the sideline. Should I consider purchasing more or should I sell what I have or should I hold? Thank you. Thank you for the question. Joe, what's the answer? You have both of these in your Joe T ETF. I, I do. Kathy, I don't want you to sell. I, I want you to hold on to the position. We, we need some time here to uh, see if we're going to get an earnings recovery. Obviously, you have Square's entry into the buy now and pay later, but you also have eBay beginning to roll their managed payments off the PayPal platform. We knew that was going to happen. It's happening a little faster than we expected. So let's sit tight. Let's hold for now. All right. Liz Young to you from Dave in London, who asks, with the American market at record highs, is there still money to be made in other places like Europe? I would love to know your thoughts on the future for the U.K. market. Yeah. Hi, Dave. So Europe just emerged from a double dip recession. And I do think that there's opportunity in Europe, including the UK. Now they're trailing the US in speed and magnitude, but Europe can benefit from a strong US consumer and an eager US traveler. So it might take a few more months, but I think there's good opportunity there. Okay. And finally, uh, Jimmy to you, Geronimo in Las Vegas. Look at the future five to 10 years out. Will stocks like Citibank of America and JP Morgan Chase still be competitive? What do you think? Yeah, it's a good question, and I think inherent in that is whether fintech will take over. But I think you got to remember the trading opportunities, the investment banking opportunities, and the basic balance sheet lending opportunities in those banks are going to be hard to overcome. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll do final trades on the other side. All right, let's do final trades. Liz Young, you are up first. Healthcare today, first of all, because it's not definitively a growth or a value place. You don't have to make that choice. Second of all, because I think we're learning that we came out of the pandemic different than we went in. And healthcare is very important. There are a lot of companies set to benefit from that going forward. Sector doing quite well. Joey T. Did, did Liz steal my notes or something? 23 <laughs> of the 58, 52-week highs in the S&P 500 are from healthcare today. Uh, Zoetis, Eli Lilly, Bristol Myers, XLV, go long. Quarter to date, it's the best sector. It is. Farmer Jim likes BMY, right? Bristol Myers, wasn't that a new buy for you? I, I like Bristol Myers, and Thermo Fisher is doing well. So I, I'm, I'm sorry I didn't join the party with my final pick, but that's NXPI. Uh, you know, I mentioned that GM is having margins issues because of the chips. Well, NXPI is selling chips to the automotive industry. They're doing really well. All right. Thank you. Uh, Steve Weiss, what do you got? T-Tech, T-T-E-C. I own it. They had a beaten race quarter. Great numbers. Keep in mind, there's one major shareholder here. Who knows what happens in the future? They split the company. They could sell, but fundamentally, it's extremely strong. And I just want to point out Corvo reports tonight and Moderna tomorrow morning. All right. Good stuff. Great. Thanks, everybody. You as well. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.